Welcome to Ask the Therapist, a monthly podcast for everyone who's interested in how our minds work, building resilience through journaling and all things therapy. I'm your host, Sarah Rees, a mental health nurse and CBT therapist with over 20 years of experience in the field of mental health. Hello and welcome to episode 38 of Ask the Therapist. It's lovely to have you here. Today I'm talking with Natasha Williams, who is a cognitive behavioural therapist, CBT therapist, and EMDR therapist, which stands for Eye Movement Desensitisation Reprocessing, which is a therapy that's very effective for lots of areas, but specifically trauma, post-traumatic stress symptoms and anxiety. And it has some evidence for grief as well. Natasha specialises in working with people who are on a fertility journey, who may have experienced pregnancy loss, miscarriage or a birth trauma. Natasha is an expert in the area and in fact she spent over 24 years in the field and I'm sure you'll agree with me when you listen that she's so lovely and warm but her knowledge really shines through and she's provides so much practical really helpful advice and where to look to as well for more support and building the community if that's what you need and I will put all the links to the things that she mentions in the show notes. This is a sensitive area and we do talk about trauma, loss and grief. So if you've been affected by any of these areas, do take good care of yourself. Make sure you are listening to this in a comfortable, safe place and that you have some support around you and you have a little bit of a plan of what you're going to do after this episode. And I hope you find it, well, I know you'll find it really helpful and informative. Hello, Natasha. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Hi, Sarah. It's lovely to have you here. (laughs) Welcome. Thank you for inviting me. I'm excited. Thank you. A pleasure. So we're going to start with a quick fire round question to get to know you really quickly. Um, So are you an early bird or a night owl? Night owl. Self-help book or Netflix? Netflix. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Gin or wine? Uh, Wine. Are you a nightclub person or a going to the gym person? Oh, definitely a nightclub person. Lovely. (laughs) What's your favourite book? White Teeth. White Teeth? What's that about? Oh, I can't explain it in a, in a quick couple of seconds, but it's a very funny book to the point where I can't get through it because I keep laughing out loud. Um, but it's one of my favourite books, yeah. I've just read, um, the. have you read the Adam Kay, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and he's done a book called This Is Gonna Hurt? No, is it a good book? He's a, a medical doctor talking about his time in A&E and actually does a lot of maternity ward stuff and gynecology stuff. It's very, very funny. Yes, it's one of those books, but it's got a medical stance to it. So I like a good book like that. Yeah, I love a book where you can just get into the book and it feels like you're part of that world. It's brilliant, this book is. Yeah. It's lovely, isn't it? Chocolate or crisps? Chocolate. Your favourite film? Matrix. Oh, that's a good one. Um, mindfulness or running? Mindfulness. Very good. Night out with 10 friends or two friends? Two friends. And what would your favourite quote be? I couldn't decide between two, so I've got to reach for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land on the stars. Or yes, we can. That's cool. Is that um, Michelle Obama? Is that Michelle Obama? It's Barack, yeah, Barack. 
Oh, is Barack Obama? Yes, we can. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. So I'm always curious about why people choose to be a therapist. So sometimes that's a nice place to start. So can you tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming a therapist and why you chose to be a therapist? Yeah, so I always wanted to work with children um, when I was very, very young. And so I became a nursery nurse. Um, and from there, I um, worked in a children's centre, working with children and families who were being assessed by children's services. And had met a psychologist I was really inspired by. And I thought, I want to be a psychologist. And he was saying, oh, it takes about three or four years to do psychology. And at that point, I was earning a lot of good money. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't stop earning. What will be a sidestep and I can go to psychology at some point in the future? And um, I decided on social work. And so at that point, social work was a, a short course. I chose to do the three-year course. And it was a three-year course doing social work with children and families. and I entered social work as a very optimistic, young, 21-year-old, ready to change the world and make change and save these families and very quickly realised that it's not that easy because lots of issues around, you know, politics and structure and society and all that kind of stuff that just makes it very difficult to make huge changes. But loved my work and always loved doing the direct therapeutic work with the children and families. But I quickly moved up to management because I became really disillusioned with what I could do, um, you know, on the ground and thought, well, I can make some change um, as a manager. You think you can change something somewhere, don't you? And then you realise that there's other politics as you get higher and there's not always huge change that can be made. Um, but I always loved social work. I always loved working with people and listening and helping. That's just who I am. and didn't really know what I was going to do, but felt really unhappy. And for me, and I know, um, I suppose I'm fortunate to be able to think this way, but I just thought I can't do a job that I do not like or I'm not getting anything out of, especially for the next 20, 30 years. It has to be something that gives me some meaning and some, you know, sticks with my values. And a lot of people were there for the pension and the holidays and, you know, all, all the stuff that comes with working for a local authority. But that just didn't feel like enough. And I think because I was a young social worker at that point, so I was in management at 25, and everybody else was in their like, late 30s, that I just saw things very differently. I never had to think about a family. I never had to think about, you know, a, a huge mortgage. It was just me, really, that I had to think about. So I could make the change. Um, so uh, a friend of mine was doing um, her CBT course, or she discovered a CBT course at Derby University. And we'd studied together as a social worker. And she said, do you want to join me on this course? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not academic at all. I don't have the headspace. I'm not going to do that. So I didn't do it. And in the time of deciding what to do, I took on different pieces of work. So I, I chaired a fostering panel. I did assessments of foster carers. I um, inspected children's homes hoping that I would still get something out of being a social worker, but in a different role, as well as still doing management. Um, and just wasn't happy in what I was doing. So I thought this is the time to do something different. So I applied for the course at Derby and did the CBT master's course. So that was a three-year course. And found very quickly that that was where I felt most comfortable. That's where I felt like home. Because I do love talking. That's 
ask anybody who knows me, I do like talking. I'll be the one who's talking to someone at the bus stop, in the toilets, walking. I'll talk to anybody. So it was like... So therapist is a good job. <laughs> yeah. It was a perfect job to be able to talk to people and to make a difference and to be able to, you know, I absolutely feel that people who come to therapy are amazing. They don't feel like it, but they, they are, you know. It's such a brave thing to do when you really think about it. And whenever I've gone to therapy, I think, how do I get people through the door? This is really tough. Absolutely. And, you know, being working in social services, you quickly realise that you could be on the other side of the table. You could be somebody who's involved with social services. You could have mental health issues. You could have need additional support because life happens and life will have moments when there's significant events that you don't always have the support or you can't always cope because we're human beings and we're not meant to be robots and just get on with things. So therapy felt like the place to be. And yeah, I just, I absolutely love it. What was the course like at Derby? Because we've just, the last podcast I did was about how to be a CBT therapist. And we talked about some of the courses and how did you find the course at Derby? It was thorough. So I came to the course from a social services background. I had I had very, very limited information around mental health. A lot of the people who went on the course were already working in mental health. So in my um, my class, there was only myself and somebody else who weren't actually in the mental health um, sector. One was a teacher. She was a teacher and I was a social worker. Um, at the time of doing the course, I act improving access to psychological services, therapies, came out there's a lot of talk around IAPT and I hadn't got a clue what anyone was talking about and for people who are listening and don't know what IAPT is it's it's a service that's offered by the NHS um in terms of CBT therapy so that had come in um as a as a side kind of line really and a lot of people were talking about that but the difference between IAPT and my course was that it was a three-year um master's course where IAPT course was probably a year I think it's a year I'm not sure it's about 18 months, I think. Yeah. Oh, really intense. It's like they've shortened it. Oh. Absolutely. And it's intense because you're doing the job at the same time, aren't you? So with the course that I did, you did you, you did study time and then you also then go and do a placement. And because I originally applied for the adult course and there was an administrative error, so they said, well, go on a children's course because you know that, but we'll do adults and children equally. Um, I had a range of um, placements um, in terms of working with the NHS, working with young people, working with children in care, working with parents. So it offered me a range of um, experiences. And the teaching was outstanding. We had an amazing teacher who sadly passed away at the end of our course, but she was very thorough. And she was also very realistic on how you could use CBT. Oh, I would like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because it's it's very different when you train, and then actually when you put it into practice, it in the clinical room, isn't it? Sometimes the people that walk through the door, door don't present like what it says in the textbook, because because like what you said before, we're all human, we're all really individual. And then you've gone on to specialise in working with miscarriage, pregnancy loss, and birth trauma. Why have you focused in that area? Well. It's interesting because I've always loved, when I've done work with um, people that I'm working with, I've always loved trauma work from a very, actually my dissertation was on um, PTSD and unaccompanied minors. So I've always kind of had an interest in trauma work. And I think it's because it's so transformative. 
you know people come in and they their lives are one way and they can leave absolutely changed in such a spectacular way so I'd always I'd always enjoyed that and I'd always worked in different aspects in trauma in terms of working with significant life events whether it was a road traffic accident whether it was a sexual assault whether it was a a serious injury at work I've always enjoyed working with trauma but I think what happened over the last couple of years was I um, personally had um, IVF treatment and I also had a really difficult pregnancy and also had a traumatic birth and over the last couple of years I just seem to have been looking at things on Instagram certain um, professionals were coming up on my feed around birth trauma and stuff and I found um, a wonderful lady called Dr Rebecca Moore who has established birth matters with her colleague Dr Emma's Fansberg and this birth matters movement talks about how we can improve maternity services and they do a lot of training and they do a lot of courses and they're doing a lot of work within the NHS to support women to have less traumatic experiences and it wasn't until I started following her that I realized that actually I could call my experience traumatic. I would never have used the word before. Now, I was just going to ask you about that. I've just actually done a blog on post-traumatic stress. And one thing, I love working with trauma as well. But one thing I find is the amount of people that come to me and don't realise they've got post-traumatic stress or don't see what they've gone through as a trauma is huge. And, and definitely in terms of um, giving birth, <laughs> you know, for for all parties involved and you know yeah all aspects of um pregnancy and pregnancy loss can sometimes be trauma so it's interesting that you went through that and I didn't even know I was trauma traumatized you know when I look back now I can see certain things that would indicate that I was traumatized but at the time you just go through it there was no one else I well actually I had two friends who were also having IVF treatment but we were we were we were all in our own little bubbles because we were de- dealing with different aspects of that. Um, you give birth and you think, well, everyone has a terrible birth um, at some level. It's never easy, so you think that's okay. And it wasn't until I started to look more at birth matters and Rebecca and Emma that I realised, oh my gosh, my not only was the birth very traumatic, and that was that would be obvious trauma when you think about it. When I think about it now, but in terms of IVF. IVF in itself is traumatic because of the process that you have to go through, not just because of the, the things that think people might think is obvious, like a, a miscarriage or a pregnancy loss, but the fact that you have to start IVF in itself, the fact that you have to accept that you're never going to have a child naturally like everybody else, the fact that you have to go through all these scans and appointments and, you know, sense of dignity kind of goes in a sense because you're being observed to have an internal scan with medical doctors and everybody else in the same room you know the fact that IVF can fail the fact that you can have egg collection and then you can become really ill with um, overstimulated ovaries and all that kind of stuff that there are aspects of it that are all quite traumatic so for me I, I then realized wow I've been traumatized um, and I didn't realize it and I'm a therapist and I can put two and two together and I can see what's going to help me but there must be so many women out there who have experienced trauma and wouldn't even know it's traumatic. So how would somebody know that that it's trauma? I suppose if we think about trauma in the sense, um, as a therapist, I always thought about, well, trauma is if you have an overriding sense that you or someone else is going to die in a very traumatic incident. 
kind of very clear from a, a PTSD diagnosis. But when we think about trauma in other levels, trauma can be anything that overloads our nervous system. So when we're thinking about our nervous system, that anxiety system that we have, where we feel like we are overwhelmed, where we, we can't cope, sometimes there's a sense of I'm going to die, but often there's a sense of feeling completely out of control, completely overwhelmed, to the point where we almost disassociate in that situation. We zone out, we just go through the motions. We're not really in that, in that moment. And a lot of women that I then started to see, interestingly, would come through therapy and they would be coming to me for therapy because they were stressed at work or they were struggling with their relationship. And interestingly, I then, with more discovery, found out that was the top layer of the issue they were coming for. Many of these women have had a, a miscarriage, had had difficulty um, conceiving, had fertility treatment. There were so many things underneath, but a lot of women don't know that they've suffered a trauma, as you said earlier. A lot of women wouldn't see it as traumatic because they see trauma as something huge. Like if you're just going to war, you know, it's just the veterans or it's a car accident or it's a terrorist. Yeah, that's it. Or a sexual assault or something like that. They wouldn't identify it as being traumatic. They, they normally would come with, I'm feeling quite stressed or anxious. I think over the course of at least probably the last 12 months, people who are coming to me now know their, their trauma. They're able to name it. So you think that there's more education out there and people are starting to A, see that they, they have been traumatised because of what they've been through and B, that they can get help, which is huge, isn't it? It's good change. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think Instagram has a lot, has contributed a lot to that because people are now able to access information and access stories that are similar to their stories and able to think, oh, wow, that, that must, if I never had Instagram, I wouldn't have known about um, birth matters and I wouldn't have done my own kind of research so I think birthing people completely are able to identify that something isn't right that not they're not feeling great and could it be linked to their experiences and that's that's an amazing start compared to how it was years ago because birth you know pregnancy loss and miscarriage was such a taboo subject yeah, it's just not talked about, is it? You just get on with it and it's this, yeah, a lot of stigma and kind of shame around it. That... Absolutely, absolutely. And how do you find managing with such intense emotions and loss, especially considering that you've been through this and you've had this experience? I think there are several things. I think being a social worker at 21 and seeing and hearing some really horrific things is just made me quite resilient to hearing a lot of stuff so I can really empathize and I can help um but I'm also able to protect myself um I have a realistic caseload so you know before I just did focus solely on trauma work I would have a lot of people I would see a day um and I would see them for depression anxiety trauma um workplace stress all that kind of stuff now that I only specialize I have a, a reduced caseload so I don't see a lot of people in one day um, and then during each session I have with somebody, I have si significant time before to prepare and also time afterwards to prepare. And afterwards might be making some notes, but also just grounding myself, going for a walk, getting a cold drink, um, getting some fresh air, just so I can kind of reflect, but also get back into the moment. Because you do go on the journey with people you're working with. You are in the moment with them. You are helping them 
to contain how they feel or, or, or not contain, express how they feel. And that can be really powerful. Um, I also have clinical supervision. So I'm really, really fortunate that I have three clinical supervisors who I can go to, I can reflect with. I have one for CBT, I have one for EMDR, and I have a fantastic perinatal consultant psychologist for all things, infertility, uh, miscarriage, loss, all that kind of stuff. And so I, I have an hour with them each a month. That's really amazing. It's fantastic that you have all that support around you. Yeah. And that, you know, so many people, you know, in order to care for others, we have to care for ourselves, don't we? And you're really, you'll be kind of talking about that with your clients, but also that's, it's lovely to hear that that's what you're doing for yourself. And um, and then, you know, we are all human. I'm, I'm human. So I can tell everyone the benefits of self-help and self-care. Doesn't mean that I'm always great at practicing it. You know, I, I might not always do it, do it, get it right, but I'll, I'll try and do small steps. So I might, I don't always have the luxury for lots of different reasons to be able to go for a jog or, you know, go for a long walk, but I always have lovely hot showers morning and night as I use a way to be, to be mindful and be in the moment. I always go for walks, I listen to music. Um, but what's also interesting that I've been reflecting on lately is I also kind of avoid social media when I feel overwhelmed by it because in my industry, I suppose, you know, my account and I have, I follow some wonderful people who talk about pregnancy loss and infertility and, and bereavement and that kind of stuff. And whilst it's really, really good and really informative, it's also quite heavy at times. And so I have a separate account on, on Instagram where I can look at renovations and holidays and dream about going to hot countries and, and all that kind of stuff. So I, I try and manage my time as well also whether it's in the day with my clinic or whether it's outside of work it sounds like you're really in tune with what what you need and I think that's so reassuring for the people you know because I think also when people come to therapies with trauma they often worry about the therapist don't they which they don't need to at all so I think it's lovely to you know very reassuring to hear that that as therapists we do you know we use our mind as the tool which we use for our work. So we do invest a lot of time in, in looking after that. We have to, don't we? Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's, it's such a pregnancy loss and miscarriage is such a painful experience for couples and often a really unique experience. Can you talk us through some of the common experiences women and couples go through? Well, you know, for a lot of, and, and I suppose just to say also, it's not just couples. We're talking about people who, our solo parents, we're talking about people who have had to embark on a fertility treatment, um, huge levels of, of loss and grief, you know, from, from the grief of the child that they imagined um, to chemical pregnancies to miscarriage during pregnancy, having to terminate um, for medical reasons, um, having to give birth to their sleeping babies. There's a whole level of, of grief. Um, there's a term that we use called disenfranchised grief, which is, which is about grief that nobody sees. If someone's had a chemical pregnancy, so they've, they've been pregnant at some point and they no longer are, you know, how do they explain that to people? Because often people go, well, at least it was, you know, people often say things that they think is well-meaning and, and it often isn't, but people don't identify some parts of the pregnancy as a pregnancy as such. So often couples are grieving privately um grief will have many different stages and normally when I see people they're in that anger or sadness phase 
um, self-blame, bargaining. If only I did this, it's my fault. My body, my body can't carry a baby. Um, I should have done more of this or less of that. They have, you know, lost how they thought their future would be. We talk a lot in, um, we call it reproductive loss um, in terms of what we've lost um, as our, nar- our reproductive narrative. So we all have at some stage a, a story of how we think our baby is going to be. So from a very young age, you'll see little boys or girls carrying babies or caring for something and talking about when they get married or when they have children. In that story, they never talk about, and if I have a miscarriage or if I have a loss or if I have to have IVF, they don't have that. We have an idea of how we think our reproductive story will be based on our parenting, based on people around us. So if we have a loss, we we don't only lose our child, we lose that story. We, we, We can lose friendships because there'll be people around us who may be having children um, or don't understand we can lose the sense of who we were I often talk about I often talk to people and they say all I am is work and IVF all I am is work and miscarriage I don't know who I am I don't know um, what I like I don't know who I was um, before this so they lose their sense of identity absolutely they because it's such a huge powerful thing and as I said, society finds it difficult at times to accept something that they haven't seen or they don't know anything about. And so, and as you said before about that being taboo subject and feelings of shame, there isn't always that space to, to share and articulate how you're feeling and what's going on um, for you as an individual or for you um, as a couple. So how can therapy be beneficial for people? Well, I suppose the starting point of therapy is helping people um, realise that what they feel is true. So we're validating how they feel. Um, I have people saying, I'm feeling like this and I think I'm just completely mad and crazy and just want to make sure what you think. You know, ex- the, 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 the symptoms of grief and loss and trauma are powerful. So they are things that nobody would ever experience previously before. And people don't talk about it, so they, they can't have it as a shared experience. So therapy allows people to get in touch with how they feel in a safe way. So it hasn't got to be always talking about the past, but it's, it's about them being able to sit with that feeling of sadness and anger without upset it, feeling they're going to upset somebody or feeling guilty for changing the tone of the conversation. Um, therapy helps them feel safe and vulnerable whilst processing helps them process what's happened it helps them be compassionate to themselves it helps them change that narrative that, that they're having it's all my fault I should have or why didn't I therapy can also help identify if there's other things like if we've got anxiety and depression they're also hugely impactful on a person's life and functioning having the opportunity to share how they feel to um, recognize their needs um, without feeling selfish about it Um, can help them start to process what's happened the grief will never go away it will always be there um, but they can start building their life around that so the intensity isn't having a hold on their life forever going forward so they can hold it softly and more manageably and yeah that makes a lot of sense and I think the the tricky thing when I've worked with people going through this is that they're, they're also told don't be stressed you can't, you know, if you want a baby, you can't. They go through all this trauma and then they're panicked about 
feeling how they feel because it's not good for fertility which is yeah they worry about worry so they worry and they worry about the worry and they worry about getting it wrong they worry about upsetting people they you know they they have changed as a person fundamentally but their world hasn't changed so their friends are still the same their their work is still the same you know the people that i work with who have had miscarriages at work who have had miscarriages at special events and they couldn't tell anybody they can't talk about it there are women who have to make a decision about terminating because of for medical reasons and they feel even more guilty you know it, it's such a difficult place for them birthing people and their partners it, it's just so difficult but i think the good thing is there's a lot more awareness now so you know we've just had for example baby loss awareness week last week and and that gave chance for people who don't know anything about baby loss to really understand about it and learn what you should say and what you shouldn't say you know how you can really be supportive how you can support that person without trying to fix them because we try and do that sometimes we try and fix the situation by certain comments and it just makes it worse um so yeah therapy can help hold them so they can feel free to crumble they can free, feel free to share how they feel and they can start processing what's happened to them so they can make a bit more sense about it like myself, as well as providing cognitive behavioural therapy, you also provide EMDR, which is eye movement desensitisation reprocessing. Could you say a bit about how you use this and how effective you find it? Because it's not—it's a therapy that I is kind of been transformative for me personally and um, professionally, but it's not that well known, is it? No, uh, EMDR is absolutely amazing. I I couldn't speak more highly about it it is so effective I've, I've used it with people who have been so traumatized they can't even talk about any of the memory that's happened that was traumatic they can't even think about it without really really getting really upset and overwhelmed I've used it with children I've used it with people who are neurodiverse I've used it with a range of people and it's been effective so EMDR helps us process um, traumatic memories the same way we would if we were in our REM sleep, our rapid eye movement sleep, and it helps us make sense of what's happened. It helps us move all the information into a central part so we can process it, understand it, and put it away nice and neatly into our um, memory bank. And as we know with trauma, anything traumatic means that we don't always process what's happening at the time because our central nervous system is so overwhelmed um, by that fear. So the, the beauty about EMGR is that it helps us process the memory without sometimes even having to talk about it. I think that's, especially with trauma, that's lovely, isn't it? So sometimes you can just kind of work with the the body and there's some feelings in the body and emotions so people don't have to talk. It's a less of a cognitive um, process because, we you know, our body holds a lot of traumatic memories, um, which is why people will, you know, notice if they have a certain smell or they see something or they watch something on telly that they will have a physical reaction. So even though they've done really well at trying to put away this horrible memory and put it into a deep, dark cave in the back of their, their brain, their, their body's still holding a lot of that um, trauma response. So EMDR is fantastic because people don't have to speak in detail about what's happened in terms of the memory. They can recall it in different ways and their body and brains can work together to process it so it is less... Um, impactful and it doesn't take away the memory it means that you'll still be able to think about the memory but you can think about it in a different response without being overwhelmed 
by that emotion because loss is loss you know grief is grief and you know we're not meant to just it happen and then we forget about it it will always be there but it's how it has an impact on us going forward and, and our functioning so I absolutely love EMDR um it's really powerful and I've got a wonderful um EMDR therapy um, supervisor who again specializes in women's health and that that includes um perinatal issues and IVF and what kind of stuff so I have the opportunity to kind of use it but also kind of reflect on aspects that are useful um in supervision I love it it's a really good therapy yeah and what about CBT do you use a lot of that in your work yeah so CBT is also really useful because a lot of people often think CBT is about positive thinking and I, and I had somebody recently saying if I do therapy with you will I get pregnant and I was like no I don't I don't I can't do that. I'm not, I'm not, I might be a bit good, but I'm not that good. Um, so it's not about kind of changing your mindset and you'll get pregnant. It's more about noticing some of the unhelpful thoughts that you're having and seeing if we can change it um, more um, in a better response. It's about helping you be more prepared for the future, whatever that may look like, whether it's starting to try again for a family, whether it's looking at other options. So it's trying to look at how we can think in a more helpful way a lot of women or birthing people often um, blame themselves. I should have done this. I should have done that. It's not going to work or I'm useless. I'm hopeless. You know, the future looks completely bleak. There's no point. How am I going to move forward? And therapy just helps us kind of be curious about that. Is, that. is that actually true? Have we got evidence for it? Yes. You know, we're in a position that we are in terms of not having a baby. But what else can we do that can fit with your values and, and in line with what you want? How can we help you get to a point where you can start thinking about trying again for a family? Would it be looking at really simple things like how do you function in the day? How kind are you to yourself? What things are you doing for yourself? How are you sleeping? How are you eating? You know, how do we change the focus to being more caring to yourself? So it, it's not really about trying to think positively. It's about thinking realistically. If you've got a scan coming up and you're worried about the scan and you're automatically thinking it's going to be terrible the medics are not going to be very nice to me they're not going to listen to me is that really true and if it is what can we do differently then how can we prepare you how can we get you in the best position possible um so we i use both of them um intertwined really cbt and mdr and they're so brilliant for that that you can you can intertwine them in therapy um and have really really good results yeah, that's fantastic. Really good overview. And if somebody's listening and thought therapy for would be good for them, how can they get hold of you or how can they book an appointment? Would they need a GP referral? You know, how do you go about getting therapy? Because often if you're going through so much it's and you've got so many appointments, it's, you know, lots of women I'm, or people wouldn't know where to start. Yes. So directly to me, you can contact me on my website, natashawilliamstherapy.co.uk. Um, and there's a there's a contact um, on on that website. You can also follow me on Instagram, Natasha Williams Psychotherapy. Um, on Facebook, Natasha Williams Therapy. Um, if people, you know, um, go onto um, certain directories like uh, Counseling Today, sorry, sorry, yeah, Psychology Today or Counseling Directory, you'll find details of me and lots of other people. So there's, there's lots of information out there. It's really interesting because whilst we have this love-hate about Instagram, Instagram is a fantastic place if you look in the right places for support um, and information. 
yeah it can be a great community can't it and you can kind of get a sense of um who therapists are and what their values are and if they're going to be a good fit for you as well and are there any useful books or resources that you would often recommend for people yeah there's a couple of books uh we've got feather in the empty nest um which is all about ivf and loss bump in the road uh, we are one in eight, but we are not broken. We've got some fantastic websites, the Miscarriage Association, Tommy's, Sands, Bicker. Instagram's got some wonderful people. We've got Parents in Mind, The Infertile Midwife, um, Femaline Official. This is Alice Rose, Zoe Adele. There's lots of people out there um, on Instagram. Um, and again, these are people who have got their own personal experiences. So they're talking firsthand. And, and I think that's really important when you are le- seeking out support or a therapist to find somebody you can connect with and to find somebody who absolutely knows um, your story. Um, and just to add, sorry, to your previous question, you don't need a, you don't need a GP referral um, to, to come and work with me. You can just contact me directly and we can look at availability and look at your needs and, and get you um, booked in. That's fantastic. And I think what's been nice about everything you've gone through is that it can, I imagine it can be such an isolating place to be, but there is a real community out there, isn't there? It sounds like there's lots of support, lots of things that that can be done to help the journey go a bit smoother and to support people. I think the one thing I would add, though, is even as lots of there's lots of support, just to say to people who might be listening who have experienced um, pregnancy loss, is, is just not to compare yourself, be kind. Because everyone, everyone's experience is their experience and, you know, your loss is your loss. And some of the support you might find useful, some of it you might not, some of it you might want to follow, some of it you might need to silence a little bit. You know, it's OK to do that. Um, it doesn't define you as a person. You're not horrible or anything else. You're just protecting yourself. And that's what's really important. To listen to what you need. Yeah, that, that's really useful. And the final question I ask all my guests is, if you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what would you say to her and what advice would you give? I would say you will get there. You are like, you're attractive. You can achieve anything you want to achieve. Um, you will be happy and you will have your baby at some point. I've always wanted children. It just took a lot longer than what I'd hoped. Um, but you will get there you will be happy it's the most important thing that's lovely lovely note to end on thank you so much for today I I just think it's been so useful and really valuable to share everything you do and you know all the information you've shared has been brilliant and I will put all the things that you've mentioned into the show notes but just if somebody wanted to follow your work is Instagram the best place yes Instagram's the best place Natasha Williams psychotherapy is the best place to follow me fantastic thank you so much it's been a pleasure thank you so much Sarah I've loved talking to you thanks for having me thank you for listening to Ask a Therapist for more information about the CBT journal visit my website at sarahdreese.co.uk you can also sign up to download your free guide to building emotional resilience delivered straight to your inbox you will then also receive regular newsletters where I share my blog posts podcasts and tips and strategies for better mental health and psychological resilience. Don't forget to review and subscribe to the podcast, and you can also share episodes on social media using the hashtag AskTheTherapist. This episode was written and presented by me, Sarah Rees, and edited by Big Tent Media and produced by Emily Crosby Media.